This is a very unique morning, to say the least. If you're a visitor, things are a little different sometimes. But uh, we are so proud and pleased to honor our VBS people. They put so much work into this. And uh, we want to give them that opportunity to win children to Jesus Christ. I am filling in for Pastor Ty today. My name is Bob Perry. I'm the Minister of Music here at South Shores. Ty is with his father on Father's Day. His, uh, Ty's mother passed away several months ago. In fact, next week is her memorial service. And uh, he wanted to be with his father because this is a, would be a difficult time for him. And uh, he asked me if I would fill in for him, and I am very honored to do that. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ty preached on the Ten Commandments. And it reminded me of the Sunday school teacher of six-year-olds who, after explaining the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, asked, boys and girls, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? Without hesitating, Billy stood up and answered, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I pray for Ty, I pray for his dad, that they, Ty can minister to him, that they can share today, father to son, son to father, and that this will be a special moment. I pray that you will speak through me these words you've given me, Lord, and I thankful, thankfully, I'm glad to do this in Jesus' name, amen. Most of us know that the tabernacle was the dwelling place of the divine presence of God and his glory during the Exodus. It was their sanctuary. However, only the priest could enter the actual tabernacle. That's the covered portion, the gray area, is the actual tabernacle. The other part of it is the outer court. For many years, as I read this section of Exodus, beginning in chapter 25, if you'd like to look at that area, I considered it boring, mundane, made up of very specific architectural details of God's demands for his sanctuary. The wood types, the fabrics, the measurements, the metals, meticulous minutiae. But I was humbled as I learned the true meaning behind the details of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a template for prayer and for worship. The tabernacle is a template for worship. Worship as a corporate body. Worship in our morning Bible studies on our knees by our bed or at the kitchen table. Worship in the mountains, at the ocean side, wherever we have worship, this tabernacle is a template for that worship. God had a purpose, many purposes for his tabernacle that Bob Perry's finite mind couldn't comprehend until I began to research it. When Pastor Ty asked me to do this message today, I looked at it, 
I thought, oh, no, not this one. What am I supposed to talk about? And then I started researching it, going online, buying some books, doing articles. And I went back to Ty, and I said, you know, Ty, this isn't just a one Sunday message. This is two months of messages. Can I preach the next two months? (laughs) No, I would never do that. My wife would never let me. (laughs) The tabernacle served as a temporary dwelling place of God until Jesus. Now God tabernacles in us. God is no longer represented in the tabernacle like in the Old Testament, but he can now enter our hearts. The area of the courtyard, as you can see, measures 75 feet by 150 feet. It's a perfect rectangle. It consists of three parts. The outer court, the holy place, which is in the dark gray, and the holy of holies, or the most holy place. As we look at the tabernacle this morning, we will see that God designed it as a representation of how he wants us to come to worship. Okay, let's begin. We will use three words to capture the essence of the believer's experience in the outer court. Now, the gate isn't represented up here, but the gate is on your far right where the letter E is. There's actually a gate there. There's only one way into the outer court, into the tabernacle. There is only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ, his son. The tabernacle was surrounded by the tribes of Judah. Remember, Ty mentioned that they were probably close to three to four million people. They were divided up in strict order by the tribes. So if anybody wanted to come to the tabernacle, they would come through that single gate. And they would come into that gate with purpose, with adoration, with praise, and with humility, because they didn't do it very often. And they would come with the unblemished lamb to sacrifice. As we look at the tabernacle, we will see that God designed it as a representation of how he wants us to come to worship. I've already said that. Sorry about that. Now let's begin. We already started that too. (laughs) That's why I don't do this very often. As we enter the gate, as we enter into worship, we enter in praise through singing, rejoicing, and thanksgiving. The gate, the door, represents the principle of praise. The principle of praise. Psalm 95.2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms, with praise songs, with hymns, with anthems. Focusing on praise sheds the depression and distracting thoughts. As we begin to worship God, we must focus on God. 
We have one purpose for being here, and that is to worship God. We come to worship through praise. The first stop on our journey through the courtyard, our quest for true worship, is the bronze altar represented as the principle of sacrifice. So it's that square piece that's on that, when you see that again, next to the letter E, that is the bronze altar, the principle of sacrifice. We come to give our offerings voluntarily, unblemished, sacrificially, and prime. It's the first thing that we take out of our paychecks, that we take out of our retirement accounts. The first things go to God. Sacrificial lambs were used in Moses' tabernacle. We cannot enter the God's presence apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of the slain lamb. In the early church, worship began with songs of praise. But the next portion in their worship service was giving their gifts, giving their offerings. They started with praise and they went right in to giving their gifts. Now the next piece of furniture in the outer court is the laver, the wash basin. This represents the principle of sanctification, the principle of holiness. So first they sacrificed, then they went and sought forgiveness, confessed their sins. As a priest, couldn't enter the holy place until he washed his hands and his feet, till he confessed his sins. As we come to worship, the altar comes first, the laver second. At the altar, we see what God has done for us, justifying us in the cleansing gift of his son, Jesus Christ. At the laver, our appropriate response is to cleanse ourselves through confession by being sanctified by the word of God. The word of God makes us holy. Charles Spurgeon, that fabulous preacher, said, in the word I am transformed into the image of Christ. Into the word I am transformed into the image of Christ. My life text is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. But Paul says in Romans 2, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be cleansed by the word of God. Exodus 25 8 and 9. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. 
The holy place and the holy of holies are actually the tabernacle. They were covered, and only the priests could enter. After the priest had washed his hands and feet in the laver, he was cleansed and sanctified. Now he could enter in the holy place. Now we are taking this example in our own worship. We come through the gate of praise. We come to the altar of sacrifice. And now we come to the laver to cleanse ourselves, to be made holy. After that, we can finally take a step towards more of God's presence. The lampstand was hammered gold shaft with branches, buds, and flowers designed like an almond tree in various stages of development. It provided light in the holy place. The lampstand represents the principle of enlightenment. The principle of enlightenment. And as we worship, we are enlightened through the Word of God through the message, through the scriptures. Opposite the lampstand, whoops, opposite the lampstand is the table of showbread, the golden table with the showbread on top of it. Showbread is often referred to as the bread of God. The Gospel of Luke reminds us of the living tabernacle. In Acts, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. To the teaching, fellowship, the bread, and prayer. The table represents the principle of balance. Balance between fellowship and communion. P. Douglas wrote many articles on the tabernacle, and in one that I picked up, he explained without the lampstand, the bread would have remained in darkness. It illuminates the table. As we break the bread in the light of the lampstand, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The lampstand reveals the table, the bread, the broken body of Jesus Christ. He continues and he says, it should happen in worship, whether it be your daily worship, your Bible studies, your corporate worship. It should happen in worship. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. As we break the bread, he says, there is a revelation of Jesus. He becomes real to us. The bread is the word of God. 
the lampstand and its light are representative of the Holy Spirit. So if the table is the Word of God and the lampstand is the Holy Spirit shining on the Word so that we might be enlightened to its meaning, can you picture the balance of worship? The Spirit and the truth. You've heard that term many, many times, but it came from the tabernacle. The spirit and the truth, the lampstand and the golden table with the showbread. The third piece of furniture in the holy place is the altar of innocence. I mean, the incense, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> the altar of incense. Next to the Ark of the Covenant, it was the most sacred place of piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Leviticus 4.7 calls it the altar of sweet incense before the Lord. Don't you like that? The altar of sweet incense before the Lord. This golden altar of incense is the bridge from the holy place into the holy of holies. The altar of incense is the principle of communion with God. Prayer. This incense permeated the tabernacle. In worship, prayer permeates our lives, permeates our worship service. You don't need to pray just when the pastor prays. You should be praying throughout, honoring God, worshiping our Lord. Our desire is to come near His presence. Ultimately, it is not about you and me. It is not about us. It is all about him. Amen? It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. Through intimate communion with God, we come closer to the veil, to the most holy place. Now, you'll see where the holy place in dark gray, the light gray is the most holy place, or the holy of holies, and there's a line between that was the veil. That had a lot of importance. We'll talk about that. Many have created narcissistic worship mode in our daily worship, in our corporate worship. And it focuses on what we get out of our faith. It sees God as acting for us, doing for us. We treat God sometimes as an errand boy. Fix this, God. A new car, please, God. Blue, four-door hatchback, leather interior, really plush. God, what's wrong? I asked for this yesterday, and I still haven't got it. It reminds me about little Johnny. Little Johnny was kneeling beside his bed, and his mother and grandmother, with his grandmother and grandmother, and softly saying his prayers, Dear God, please bless Mommy and Daddy. 
and all the family. Please give me a good night's sleep. Suddenly he looked up and shouted, and don't forget to give me a bicycle for my birthday. His mother said, Johnny, there's no need to shout like that. God isn't deaf. No, said the little boy, but Grandma is. <laughs> As we enter into prayer, there is enormous spiritual power that is released by the Holy Spirit. Now we come to the veil. In the Old Testament, only the high priests could enter in to the most holy place, the holy of holies. And the veil separates the holy place from the holy of holies. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could enter it and only once per year on the Day of Atonement. Now in Solomon's temple, temple that veil was four inches thick, four inches of layered fabric. In the tabernacle as well as the temple, it was predominantly white, representing holiness and purity. The veil itself represented Jesus Christ. When Jesus breathed his last at the crucifixion, the veil in the temple, four inches thick, was torn from top to bottom down the middle. Like the veil, Christ's flesh was torn on the cross. That the division between God and man could forever be healed. Remember, God and man were separated with Adam and Eve. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ and his crucifixion that we are now reunited with God in our own lives. In the Old Testament, they had to symbolically go to the tabernacle, go through the priests to feel the presence of God. We can experience that every day of our lives. Like the veil, Christ's flesh was torn on the cross that the division between God and man would could be ever, forever healed. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that veil was rent. Charles Fuller in his book, The Tabernacle in the Wilderness, writes, we have been invited into God's presence. Celebration is an order. Rejoicing is appropriate. But rejoicing without regard to the price paid for our admission into his presence without regard to the judgment of God upon our sin taken to the cross by Jesus, that kind of celebration and rejoicing is a sacrilege. We should rejoice in God's presence, but we always must remember that it was through Jesus, his sacrifice, that we can come to the presence of God, that the tabernacle is now in us. The Holy of Holies represents the principle of reverence. The principle of reverence. Here in the tabernacle of Moses, God dwelt among men. 
but not in men due to the sin of Adam. He chose his dwelling place symbolically in a piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. This became his throne on earth. The Ark contained three objects. Can anyone tell me one of those three? Man, I heard. Aaron's, Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. And the third one, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments the rep, that represents God's demand for righteousness revealed in the law and the life of Jesus. The rod of Aaron, not the rod of Moses. The rod of Aaron that represents God's anointed leadership and manna as a reminder of God's provision. Now, the Ark of the Covenant needed a covering, the mercy seat. God still wants righteous people, a people of humility and submission to his will, a people of faith. However, when we fail to achieve perfection in the flesh, God has covered our sins with mercy and grace. That is the mercy seat. The mercy seat represents God's amazing grace. Now, when I was young, I was involved from the age of 8 to 20 in a kind of a cult. I called it a Christian cult because they talked, it was very, very much about the Old Testament. And I was there until I was 20 years old. Uh, there were tons and tons of rules, very, very strict. But they did teach the Old Testament. They didn't teach love. They didn't teach grace, but they taught the Old Testament. I got a church, and then when I left, the idea was when you leave this club, you are doing what God doesn't want you to do, so you are going to hell, period. And when you go to hell, you have no hope, obviously. And so when I left... I knew I, was, I had no hope to go to heaven. I knew I had no, no hope of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I struggled for a while. I, had, I was in music. I was in pre-med for a couple years because that club needed a medical missionary. Then after that, I, just by God's will, God directing me through my life, he, he led me into music. And that first year of music, I didn't really know much about it, but all of a sudden, the choir director came to me and he said, uh, one of the professors is leaving a church job on a sabbatical, and he'd like you to take over for six months. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't want to go to a church. I don't know, <laughs> you know I'm out of church stuff. I, I felt like I'd be totally sacrilegious for me to do that. But he talked me into it. I met with my voice teacher that day, I'd only been taking voice for a month or two. And I said, I have a choir rehearsal tonight. There's nine people in the choir. I don't know what to do. And he says, well, all you got to do is one, two, three, four, and one, two, three. And I said, but when do I do which? And he said, okay, wait. <laughs> this is going to be harder than I thought. 
Anyway, we worked it out. I went to that choir rehearsal, and I just kind of went like this, very stiff. It was very, very difficult. What made it worse was when I walked in, out of the nine people, one of the men and a woman, Alto, were married, and the man was my Latin teacher I had for four years in high school. Oh my gosh, Mr. Christopher, I thought I'd never see him again. <laughs> there he was, with his wife. Anyway, for two years I was at Knox United Presbyterian Church in Pasadena, and it was a very interesting experience. Um, I'm not going to go, it's too complicated. I couldn't pray, I couldn't take the sacraments because I, I knew that that was sacrilegious. Later on, I accepted, well, I had accepted Christ when I was 13, but I had redeveloped my relationship with Jesus later. But I went to San Clemente Presbyterian Church where I was prior to coming to South Shores. And I remembered I went into my meeting with the worship committee there were about 10 people there, and I walked in going, oh my gosh, these guys look pretty mean, pretty old, pretty conservative. And it went very well. And finally, this one doctor, can't remember his name now, but he was a sweet saint. And he said, I just have one question. He said, what does grace mean to you? What does grace mean to you? And I sat there for a second, and I, I thought, you know, I don't know. The club never taught me about grace. I never knew about love and grace and mercy. I didn't allow my mind to accept those terminologies in the churches, a couple of churches that I was at prior to coming there, and I just said, I, I don't know. I don't know. And the pastor... Dr. Joe Stevens put his arm around me and he said, I will teach you grace. I will teach you the New Testament. And that church did. And this church continues to change my life every day. To summarize, the tabernacle provides a template for worship. The gate, initial praise and an attitude of praise and worship through humility, adoration, the altar, sacrifice and surrender of ourselves to God, the labor, cleansing, a personal need of holiness, the lampstand, enlightenment, and prayer through the Holy Spirit, the table, the Word of God, and fellowship, the balance, the altar of incense, the sweetness of prayer, the veil torn at the crucifixion through Jesus Christ that we may have access to God, the Holy of Holies, the ultimate worship experience with God through the Holy Spirit. That is how we come to worship. But we have the mercy seat. 
God's mercy and grace to cover our shortcomings, to cover when we fail. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we worship you this morning. We give you the glory always. We thank you for the tabernacle, for the many blessings that it has been over the years and so many different messages representing Jesus Christ, representing worship. But it was your symbol that you've given us. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for these fathers and the leadership role they have in their families. And we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen.